Hello and welcome to the Universe Podcast. This is episode 33 of the Universe. It's been a while for the Universe Podcast. I looked it up today. The last episode was in July and I think for you it's been even longer. Oh yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> uh, so welcome back everybody. Uh, Thanks. And today we're saying hello to Anna, who's our guest today. Hello. I've got my co-host <laughs> Livia here with me. Hi. My name you know. I suppose, unless you've forgotten over the long period, I'll let you guess. All right. So, uh, we've got Anna here. Anna got in second place at our, pod- at our uh, Poetry Slam yeah. podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Anna Isabella. Don't mind, like, forget how to spell that. Um, and... Um, yeah, am I supposed to just like say what I do? Yeah, that's okay. usually what people do. Okay, well, I study um, English, French, and history in the teacher's program. Um, I participated in the poetry slam. I hope to participate in many more in the future. Um, and um, I have a blog, which I run which is nice. fun. Nice. Um, <laughs> What's it called? It's called mymovablefeast.blog, not .com because that is taken and it will lead you to some scam website. So don't do that. What? My movable feast. Feast. Okay. There is yes. a Hemingway novel called A Movable Feast, which okay. is about Paris. And um, I had the idea for the blog in Paris and when I went to Shakespeare and Company, which... There's a Shakespeare and Company mm. in Paris? Yeah, there yes, is one. The original mm. one. Oh, I think the one okay. in Vienna... I didn't know it was a franchise. Okay. Yeah, I think the, the one in Vienna is actually probably modeled after the one in yep. Paris. Um, exactly, exactly. There is like pictures of Hemingway and James Choice in front of the one in Paris. Mm-hmm. So it's existed for yeah. a long time. Exactly. Um and I thought that was a fitting name and the chapeau to Hemingway. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, when I heard about it, I thought, uh, so I didn't get the Hemingway reference, but I thought, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a classic thing to do if you, um, like eating and um, <laughs> celebrating and you like to carry that around with you. Also, perhaps via, you know, virtual. Um, means of transport such as blogs um, if that's a virtual means of transport I think I've just coined a term anyway <laughs> uh, I think that's that's very nice and I'm a regular visitor of your blog but before talking about your blog I thought we could perhaps um, start where everything started where everything started alright the big bang then <laughs> what, so I was conceived in Salzburg <laughs> <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually was. <laughs> wow, your parents told you even. Yep, that was a nice drive in the car. And they are definitely going to listen to this podcast, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> okay, so Lee, you don't cut that bit out. Yeah, um, please don't. <laughs> um, okay, perhaps not where everything started, but where the relationship between the universe and Anna started. And that was last June. Uh, when the universe hosted its first ever poetry slam. It was hosted in a nice little cute, but also slightly smoky place. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Not smoky anymore. anymore, um, Since, yeah, last Friday. I think so, yes. And uh, it was a future-themed poetry slam. Um, and we were very happy to have you there. You came second. So how was your experience? How did you find out about it? Was it your first um, experience at a poetry slam? Okay, so I found out about poetry slams um, through the Buch Wien, which um, added Lange Nacht der Bücher, which is the opening night. They always have a poetry slam with like the, re- the leading slammers of every German-speaking country. Um, and the last one was yesterday, actually. And, um, yeah, I very much recommend it. So if you want to um, look up the lineup from yesterday, it was 
great. And um, the winner, um, whose name is Jesse James Lafleur, she's absolutely incredible. But back back to the topic. Um, <laughs> so I saw it on your Facebook group because you like we knew each other before from somewhere. I don't know, but I knew your face, and <laughs> I saw you post like, "Oh, this is the last call." Um, just send us your texts. And I was like, well, I have a free afternoon. Let's write something. Oh, nice. <laughs> and that was fun. And, um, I knew the universe because before actually I went to one of your like release readings, parties, but nobody knew me and I knew nobody. So it was kind of like a ghost there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm very glad then that the ghost sort of materialized. Um, <laughs> um very nice so the text you um performed at the poetry slam was specifically written for the poetry slam yeah from what they gather yeah okay but it wasn't your first poem i suppose it wasn't my first poem but it was the first one that i had ever performed Mm -hmm. yeah so the other poems that you that you wrote before do they feel different since you didn't write them for performance Definitely. Um, before, well, before I mostly did um, short stories and prose. Mm-hmm. And I think in the poem, you can hear that it is very prose heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, prosy. <laughs> it's very prosy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's the first thing. Um, but the second thing is, yeah, of course, you also think about, okay, what will other people Except, you know, what will what will they identify with? Um, yeah, so it, it definitely changes because when you sit by yourself, I don't know. I feel like we all have a bit of a tendency to go into the melodramatic when you write for ourselves and sure about do, all yeah. of our heartaches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> very true. So, would you say that? writing for an intended audience potentially sometimes um waters down the melodrama a little bit or um what are sort of the factors you take into consideration when writing for an audience rather than just for yourself um i think about well first of all the topic and then maybe a because it's a poetry slam a lot of people when they hear future i think they're gonna write about personal future so i thought okay what can i write that makes me stand out um but at the same time is a topic that everyone kind of knows about um that is important to people Mm, and it's a bit of a also strategy i think (laughs) very interesting and I, I don't think i've ever had anybody go about writing poems strategically yeah <laughs> so. <laughs> but that's what it is like you know if if you if you want someone to listen to you well first of all if you want someone to listen to you you're not done with writing it like you have to perform it so mm-hmm. you kind of have to think about okay how do i do this maybe read it aloud two or three times before but um, also, I think if you want other people to read it, and that's what I do with the blog too, like you kind of have to think about, okay, what do people actually enjoy? It's not enough if I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, that, you know, still um, while considering a potential audience and their potential preferences, there's still a large part of yourself that goes into writing still, right? It's not something that can be sort of clearly be separated from the author um yeah absolutely so i mean the, the topic itself i would guess must have been important to yourself yeah. too yeah and also the goal is just because i say well it's strategic mm-hmm. writing that doesn't mean the goal is to please everyone mm-hmm. maybe sometimes strategic writing also is to polarize mm-hmm. maybe strategic writing is to shock and um Maybe have people disagree with you. Like, for example, with my blog, like I've, I'm very open about mm, feminism and leftist political ideas. Um, so 
Yeah, I, I, like that's not something everyone will agree with, but I want people to start talking about that and I want people to start thinking about that. So, yeah, that's, that's different good. from pleasing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's also not how I meant it. I didn't mean that <laughs> you, you, you wrote your poem to please. It's just, I feel like we all have different ways of going about writing poetry. Yeah. And for me, these considerations are always more of an afterthought or maybe I am unable to to include them as much. Maybe that, that also makes my my poetry less good for sharing because it is. Mm, I don't know. I think we... <laughs> I mean, I don't know your poetry, but I think everyone... Someone will like what you do yes, and yes. <laughs> it's so easy to think about someone who's doing something completely differently than you and being like that is so good i will never get to that like for example yesterday at the poetry slam i was sitting there just in awe because like there were six performers and for three of them like every single poem because there was two rounds like i was sitting there being like i could never write something like that mm -hmm. never But then you kind of have to stop and like check in with yourself and be like, you're not supposed to write exactly like that person. You It's can't. okay. You can't. <laughs> and also, there will always be someone better than you. The question is how big the pond is that you swim in. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I fully agree. I think that's, that's a beauty that comes with, um, also knowing your growing as a writer but also knowing yourself as a writer that the things you're doing <clears throat> are things nobody else could do but also you couldn't do the things other people are doing yeah. so it's um takes out a little bit this sense of comparison or competition perhaps but then obviously in the case of our poetry stem um it it does make sense that there's some strategic thinking related to that i guess because a poetry slam specifically calls for it is a competition more or less it is a creative competition it's not as openly competitive as um our economic system perhaps it uses different methods it's it's in a creative safe space and people cherish and appreciate each other but still there's a competitive element obviously because there's a winner at the end and i think that also potentially calls for strategic thinking mm. um, and would you also say that um being so aware of your audience um has um comes as a result of the fact that you um have a blog and you're used to writing for people other than yourself um probably but you can write a blog even if you never open your mouth in real life <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and i think it kind of has to do with what kind of a person you are and for me it's a bit of like And I know that that's gonna make me sound really dumb, but I like attention. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it's good for poetry slamming. Like, that's exactly. kind of the element of it. Yeah, but no, that's th that's came out wrong. It's no, not but the that's element fine. Of poetry slam, but it's, I think I think it is very important. You, no, you shouldn't dislike attention yeah. if you are yeah. pursuing poetry slamming. Yeah, but that's fine. You can say that. Like, I participate in this stuff and i hope to participate in a lot of it in the future because a lot of things come together i like writing i like speaking i like performing and um i also like you know the exchange with other people who have those same passions which is super easy to do at a poetry slam mm. yeah it's mm. yeah there was i think at our poetry slam there was a very very beautiful moment so in our second round, there was um, you and Nana. And yeah. um, so it was very, um, obviously, we as a society don't exactly like competitions that much. We just sort of saw the medium of a poetry slam as a means to get in new people and so on. But we 
don't particularly like to foster competition among people. What I found incredibly beautiful was that because both your texts were incredible, but then when uh, Nana won, um, you seemed so incredibly happy for her and you were so <laughs> cheerful and I found that so very beautiful. It was um, this sort of um, shared joy rather than, you know, feeling like, oh, damn, I came second and what am I even doing here? And um, yeah. First of all, that was the first performance of my text. Mm -hmm. It was a good preparation, actually, for the Fridays for Future thing, which you then organized. So thank you very much. But um, but um, first of all, to come second in something that you're doing for the first time in your life isn't bad. So that's the first thing where I was like, hey, like, <laughs> chill. <laughs> and the second thing is Nana performed before me in the second round and I heard her text and when she was finished it was decided for me because obviously I was the only person who knew my own text mm -hmm. and um, I listened to hers and I was like I'm coming second I know this and she absolutely deserves it so for me that knowledge already sank in when I was just sitting in the audience and I hadn't even performed the second text yet Interest. like I just enjoyed her text and it was great and what she did at that poetry slam was incredible and um it was definitely specifically the second round better than mine and that's fine you know like you can you can admit mm -hmm. that and that's not a reason to beat yourself up it's a reason to say oh um well maybe next time i will spend more time on it maybe use a different style or if it keeps happening, maybe that also means like, Oh, um, maybe for me, a different type of creative writing mm -hmm. is better and that's fine. Yeah. I think that's something very, um, mature and beautiful to deal with, um, situations where hopes might be high, um, and some, lots of things that are going on and you're sort of making yourself very vulnerable in front of an audience to then regard it primarily as a sort of an opportunity to grow from there and as a um yeah just because i i think we all tend to um, at least i very much do and uh, feel the need to prove myself very often i think that still comes from the school system you know you have to prove you're worthy of your grade and you have to work hard for that and people need to like what you're doing but I think art can then exactly be the space where you ignore these these prefabricated boundaries and frameworks and you're just like hey that's a learning opportunity and it's been very beautiful and there's another person there who's done something incredibly wonderful and touching and like celebrate that um, yeah. and and that doesn't make your own contribution less valuable. Also, it's a completely different thing from school in the sense that in school you have a list, you know. Well, if I know the difference between the past perfect and the present perfect, then I will succeed at this exam, you know. And art and life in general, if we want to be <laughs> this, <laughs> this is wonderfully deep here. Um, like there, there is no list. And the hard thing, at least for me to learn, was that because for someone else, a certain set of things worked, that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And um, yeah, it's, it's just this thing in literature, like Nana writes incredibly personal, um, very private things but in a public way and um that may be something that i would like to explore in the future but it is definitely not what i was doing there mm -hmm. um and um it might not be the thing that i'm best at and that's fine that's perfectly fine. <laughs> but let's see how good you are. I read I read the text that it was good, so let's go on to the <laughs> yes. reading. I'd uh, yeah, want a bigger audience to um, be able to hear the yeah, text. And... They should judge that for mm -hmm. themselves. Okay, well, and still need to find it. Oh, there it is. Okay. Future Untitled. 
Untitled because in 11 years, climate catastrophe will be inevitable. Untitled because how will politics cope with that? Untitled because the social system is slowly being chipped away by tiny monsters called competition and economic growth. Untitled because how will we work after that? Untitled because ever more kids populate this overpopulated earth. Untitled because I don't want a kid, but hey, who knows how much longer abortion will be legal. You make your own destiny. Ask for what you want. The universe will help you receive. Sleep is a means to an end. Sleep is overrated. I'll sleep when I'm dead. You're done with your studies soon. Quick, join the sleepless masses. What will you do once you're done with uni? Can you climb up a career ladder with that? But that's not full time, is it? Don't you want to get ahead? And do find a man. And while you're at it, have a child. A second one too, you don't want the first one to be alone, but not three. This isn't the 50s anymore. With only two, you could easily keep your career running and the house clean, can't you? Oh, I forgot to mention, do indeed get a house. Maybe with some solar panels, we all need to do our part. Who cares if they actually make up for the energy it takes to produce them? After you're done working at your fashion company for the week, donate a 20 to Greenpeace. Possessions and children, it's a new circle of life. A wheel, you once wanted to break it. But think of all the stuff you have now, and your children too. Sure, they can't go outside anymore without SPF 80, but they can see nature on TV with their stuffed animals by their sides. Imagine that, animals. You wouldn't let your kids go outside with those still around. And trees too, they could fall off them and rip their new pants. And please spare us the news about people dying of thirst or freezing to death in most of the world. So unpleasant when you're having dinner with the family. We'll deal with them when we have time and money and space. Not now while we're occupied with the little ones. After all, we have obligations to our kids first, don't we? Thank you very Thank much. You. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. As always, I think there's, there is a, a marked difference in texts that are written for, I don't know, I can't, there's nothing I can fix it upon, like, no, I don't know, stylistic elements that, where I can say this is a text that's written for a public performance, but I do feel like you can immediately grasp if a text is written for a poetry slam, and I really felt that with yours. So, um, and it's then the second level, I think, is it's always really interesting, uh, to see the way you would read it yourself because i also at home i read it out loud <laughs> and now to see how you pre performed it which choices that you made i think that's very interesting yeah yeah i fully <laughs> agree i think it's a very powerful piece i think it um, touches upon so many issues that ideally everyone would deal with um a lot of egocentrism a lot of individualism that also the economic system propagates um then um, i'm not sure whether that's a correct use of the word alienation in a marxist sense correct me Leo, but, <laughs> but um, uh, a sense of alienation also from from nature and from yeah. being so distant from the things that are actually quite um basic to your being and 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 it's um uh, also an alienation from your work in that you go to a fashion company and then to compensate for it you just you know donate a little bit of money and that will make up for it so a lot yeah. of uh, questions around um how how can you go through the world with a good conscience um, in an economic system that often forces you to make unethical choices or that makes it easier for you to make unethical choices yeah i don't think we're necessarily always forced to make unethical choices i guess we are to some extent because for example living without fast fashion is a privilege like you have to be able to afford that um but which essentially means that you are pitting one group of poor people against an even poorer group of people <laughs> so um yeah but before we get super super dark um, <laughs> um yeah it was well when i read that the topic was supposed to be future that's kind of like what i thought about because 
um, yeah, future is not like, okay, the five years after college, what do you want to do? But future is like, how will I die? And the answer is not pleasant if you are <laughs> part of our generation. <laughs> um, yeah. Or at least I hope that I'm completely irrationally pessimistic here and I will be proven wrong. And I really hope so. <laughs> I feel like there's three levels to the text. The first uh, would be the where you kind of you kind of state the um, these untitled these outlooks upon the future. We kind of state your personal outlook on the future. Then you have the the quote section and the section where somebody's telling you to to please do the, this and this. <laughs> and then at, at the end you have have um also kind of a time progression but where the speaker becomes the person themselves i feel yeah who has kind of settled yeah with this world they live in yeah what would you say what does that tell us about our society or how how i would like to know how you wrote that i think that's, what were your thoughts writing that i think that's the danger that we could all fall into and i think it's also an expression of something that i think we all do because we all sometimes to say it with the words of dumbledore <laughs> do what is easy and not what is right um and um this is just so many ways of doing what is easy instead of what is right that it is apparent to everyone who hears it but i i mean if i could just choose what everyone takes away from this <laughs> one of the things um would be that none of us will ever reach this like perfection um when it comes to i guess nonviolence and ecology which are becoming synonyms more and more. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things. <clears throat> Would you say that this position, though, because um, it's, it's a way of... Um, it also sounds a bit as if the author, you know, had resigned slightly, <clears throat> being... Um, I mean, at the same time, there's this very powerful message, don't fall into this trap, you know, there's... It's um it's wrong, but then um it's also very easy to fall into this trap. So what would be your position on that? Do you think there's um there are ways to to not fall into the trap or will we most likely all end up there because the systematic structures are just so strong? Um, I think not all of us, and I think we shouldn't forget that when we um, talk negatively about a system, a structure, or society in general that is us. Um, so saying I'm forced to do this by society, well, sometimes you may be, but not doing it might not just be your own sometimes tragic choice, but it might change the society that you are a part of. Um, I mean, we always hear that it might still be possible to save the earth. At the same time, of course, I could now say, well, and Fridays for Future and all of these things, they're so great and they are showing that really our consciousness is shifting. I would like to believe that and that would probably uplift your podcast a lot more. But at the same time, I do believe that time is running out so fast um, that maybe being optimistic is not necessarily the route to go here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. I think that's being debated a lot also in scientific circles, how to go about should you communicate climate, the climate crisis to people in the words of, you know, if you really come together now and change, um, make huge structural changes, we can prevent the worst from happening. Or should you rather um, 
sort of hop on a train of this is going to be a disaster and scare people such that they get, you know, <laughs> they become panicked and start acting. I think it's very difficult because there's so many emotions involved and I'm mm -hmm. not sure panic can lead to the ideal outcome. No, it will lead to space travel. <laughs> <laughs> Which can never and should yeah. never be the solution. <laughs> But true. I believe that even if you do think that um, there are negative things on the horizon, um, it's just not only about self-preservation. Like there are other people in this too. And if you give up and you give up trying, maybe because of all of your privileges, You might be okay, but that means that a bunch of other people suffer because you didn't choose to do anything. So, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, the poem places this in a very personal context, but I don't think it is personal ever. I would also, um, I strongly argue that, um, your actions and your choices are very political, like your very day actions, which doesn't mean that um, I believe in things such as consumer sovereignty entirely. Like if you buy the organic apple, then the whole big supermarket chain will only provide organic apples. <laughs> oh, apple. apples. We, we, um, with apples. we were talking about... Is it working? Okay, we were talking yes, about apples, right? Uh, um, apples in the supermarket yeah. and ethical consumption under exactly. capitalism. Yeah. Should we maybe tell people? The batteries ran out. Yeah, yeah. We, we should yeah. tell exchanged that. the batteries. Yeah. Sorry. So we're, we're back now. <laughs> back on track. We had Sorry a nice for that. Break. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so um, I mean... We shouldn't get too much probably into economic theory and all that. Um, <laughs> That's how, uh, something for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably for a different, different podcast. podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, you seem to have plans there. I do. I keep do us, actually. Keep us updated. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I something that I'd be really curious about is um, your stance on writing and political activism. Would you say that, the, that writing can be one of the means of, um, especially since we shortly talked about the fact that you also read out this text at a Fridays for Future uh, protest. Yeah. Um, perhaps yeah. you could also share your experience there a little bit. Oh, okay. So really quick, that was... Um I don't know, it, uh, a lot bigger than the Poetry Slam. <laughs> and I knew absolutely nobody. Um, and um, they kind of, I think they like mixed up the lineup. And um, there was a different Anna, common mistake, constantly happens, <laughs> um, who was supposed to like say something. So they like put her in my time slot. Because they just read Anna and they like supposed that it was the Anna that they knew. And so I was just standing there like super confused, like already like very adrenaline filled. <laughs> like this is my time now. And then like a different Anna gets called and I'm like, what, what happened? <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so the timing, um, didn't go as planned. But apart from that, it was absolutely great. And, um, It was received extremely positively and people interacted with it so much. And yeah, and it was so nice to then talk to people about that. But to come back to your question, um, yeah, I don't, to me at least, um, writing doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, but I very much respect it if people want their writing to not touch on anything political. Um, I think it's just important to, to realize that you're, even if you write just about personal stuff, and the personal is political, um, <laughs> um, even if you write, exactly, but that's the thing, the personal is political, like your reality is shaped by the society that you live in, and you can choose to, write completely for yourself but if you lived in a different society you would probably write differently absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah i guess we there's little to add to this this was a very sort of comprehensive um 
answer to the um, interaction between the individual, the, the writing individual in a, embedded in a social and political system and how there's interaction. Sometimes I'm just wondering, you know, um, so can writing be an actual means of resistance? Can it be a tool for us also in this um, climate crisis to work towards some sort of change or transformation? Yeah, sure. But if we make it just that, then that sure. is only a fraction of what art in general can do. And I think there is a lot of positive to the whole lach pour lach. Um, why not? <laughs> you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be political. I like that, but. So yeah. you, you wouldn't say then that art has the obligation to be political in times like these or all the time. Um, actually, I think there's hardly been any time in history when there wasn't anything to criticize or to work towards change. Um, would you say art does have a responsibility or artists and writers specifically um, um. should feel responsible? I think people in general should feel responsible. And if you want to use the kind of art that you do on the side, whether that be writing or painting or singing, whatever it may be, if you want to use that for that purpose, then please do so. I think it's great. But also if you want to say, oh, for me, art is an escape. And um, I do... I, I don't think that ignoring political things is ever a solution, mm. but, um, you know, there, there's a million different ways in which you can help a cause that you believe in, and it, it doesn't have to be writing. As long as you're doing something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's an excuse for not doing anything. Yeah. And then yeah. being like, mm -hmm, I know it's a voting Sunday, but it's raining, mm. I don't want to go outside. Mm. Like, yeah, there's never an excuse for that, but... Yeah. To be <laughs> political is political. It's a political choice not to be political. Very true. <laughs> I wanted to know a bit more about uh, how um, how writing and reading and performing the poem made you feel. Because I've been thinking a lot about climate grief, stuff like that, that is very yeah. prevalent among, I don't know, our age group and maybe even more uh, younger kids uh, did it make you feel angry or do you th how did the other people feel at, at Fridays for Future because you said you talked to them what did it evoke in them I think they liked it because it was um, a break from all of the just theoretical stuff and I do think that writing can provide a link to feeling that pure analysis cannot um so, yeah, I, and and that's actually where we, where we got the first laughs for the entire protest because, um, yeah, of course it's not a, it's not necessarily a funny poem, but there is like things in it that are sarcastic and that are, you know, um, so I think it, yeah, writing first of all provides a link to feeling that other. Or creative writing provides a link to feeling that other things can't. For me, when I write stuff, whether that be these kinds of texts or for the blog or anything like that, um, I feel like that's more the time where I put the feeling and sometimes the anger, but sometimes the happiness or the sadness. When I give all of that a structure, um, it's not the time where I feel the strongest, but it is the time where I um, put words to everything that has been going on, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. inside or outside or whatever. I'm wondering, does putting words to it make you feel differently afterwards? Um, I think it sometimes gives me the tools that I need in oral discussions because if you like writing does help in that regard um, 
on the other hand, like it's it's usually more the reactions that then by other people that then might provoke some different feeling or some um, change of thought. So, um, yeah, there's like quite often I get apparently people don't use the comment section in blogs but they <laughs> tend to use the um, private messaging section um, <laughs> which you know is like i have nothing against that but um there is a lot of positive feedback and then there's some critical feedback which i think is so necessary um to every point of view um and uh, it may change some things or it may make me Even if I don't change my, if it doesn't change my opinion, I'm just stand there and be like, okay, well, I still see it that way, but I get, I get why people would see it differently. What does make me feel angry <laughs> is um, when there is like arrogance that um, like comes with it. For example, I mean, I can say this here because I know that he won't listen to this, <laughs> but um, there was a guy who, when I lived in Canada, um, I think I saw him like three times in my whole life. He was very um, aggressive physically, and I don't mean in a fighting way, I mean in a like touchy-feely kind mm -hmm. of way, um, and uh, who now gave me the feedback on one of my blog posts Anna, I thoroughly enjoy your work. However, your last paragraph needs rephrasing for clarity. You know, that kind of stuff I do get very angry at. Mm -hmm. Yes. Understandably <laughs> Because it's like, you, like you've done enough damage. Like I thought you were out of my life. Like you came close to me without any type of consent. Um, and now you feel like you can judge what I do which also, because it is a very feminist blog, mm -hmm. um, that then adds another element to it. <laughs> But then, like, you can't publicly be like, like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, mm -hmm. you can't do that. So my comment was just, okay, smiley face. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're, like, trying to take the high route. But at the same time, of course, like, yeah, that kind of stuff really bothers me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because now we're getting more like into the uh, feminist arena and, um, and, and I think there's, there's just so much, um, politics to your life that we could open up so many boxes. <laughs> um, but talking about, um, feminism and also linking it back to the uni universe and what the universe does, um, I, uh, recently learned you hold, meetings where you discuss mm. uh, feminist literature yeah i quote unquote have a mm. feminist book club an, mm -hmm. ang an um, anglophone feminist book club you are very welcome if you uh even if your first language is not english but um you should be able to have a conversation in english that's kind of the idea and um read books in english so, um, it's called Cliterature. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would like to add that the, in this case, this is not a female only space. I specifically didn't want it to be a, uh, an, a one gender exclusive space, but all genders are welcome. Um, the only prerequisite is that you, um, do have some sort of feminist values. So um, until now, it is about 10 women. We are now reading our first book by a man, <laughs> um, <laughs> Michael Kimmel's Angry White Men, um, which I very much recommend to anyone. <laughs> But yeah, so if anyone wants to, wants to join us, I would be super happy. It's, the book club is called Cliterature. My name is Anna Isabella on Facebook as well. So if anyone has any questions. And it's a way of, share, of combining the literature, the non-vacuum existing <laughs> literature um, with a social aspect and um, just general 
love for a lot of writers. Yeah. That sounds so cool. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> you, how about we join? The book club? Yeah. I don't think I have time in my life for one more I thing. Know. It really sounds tempting, but I really do. You're a busy, yeah. busy man. <laughs> I mean, we all are very, very busy. Yeah. So are you. Yeah. Busy bees. Busy bees. <laughs> but um, <laughs> sounds, sounds very good. Sounds very nice. I'm glad there's the opportunity out there for people to, yeah. to join and to specifically discuss feminist literature and that everyone's welcome. I think that's very essential too. Yeah. Um, Would you like to tell us a bit more about about your blog? About yeah, my blog? That would um, be very interesting, yeah. Okay, so I started it as a mixture of politics and traveling, and then I found out I love to travel, but writing about it is really, really boring. <laughs> at least to me. <laughs> okay. I'm like other people do a great job at that, but I don't. Um, or at least I don't enjoy it. I don't know. Um, so it is about a lot about current, um, social and political events, um, often in Austria, but also a lot in Europe or in North America. Um, I don't feel comfortable writing about a lot of other parts of the world yet because those are the only two regions that I lived in and that I feel like I can actually say something about, um, but at the same time, I do try to be as intersectional as possible. And, um, for example, I wrote about this idea of pitting the poor people in Europe against poor people in the world and, um, that other parts of the world suffer a lot more. Um, one of the main themes of the blog is also feminism. I try to not be too um, Europe or white centric. Um, but um, yeah, which is also one of the reasons for the book club and one of the reasons for a lot of other things, because I think this dialogue is so, so, so important. And um Yeah, there might be something else coming. So I was um, thinking about maybe having asking two or three of my friends. They don't know that yet, so <laughs> let's see if they want to. This is uh, shouted to Anna's friends, <laughs> but asking two or three of my friends to actually write an article, um, like friends who have very, very different experiences um, because of ethnicity or religion or wherever they grew up or, I don't know, social class or something like that. Um, so I'd love to start that in the future. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a, like a colorful collection, a um, mix of a travel diary combined with political thought and very... Um, thoughtful project as a whole um that that seems to be very inclusive and um and i think there's a point to writing only about these things do you have some relation to it's always difficult to and potentially also questionable from a um, european privileged perspective to write about um um say um situations in the global south we can't really assess um we haven't really experienced ourselves but obviously these um need to find some space as well but then probably other people are more qualified to write about these things that's actually one of the big questions that i ask myself mm -hmm. in my writing and also i think that is that society asks writers now is in how far can you tell the story of someone with a completely different identity and i think that they're At least for me, the answer, I completely understand when people say, look, you cannot write about a culture that you haven't experienced or you cannot write about an identity that you haven't experienced. I understand the argument, but I do disagree. Um, because as humans, we are blessed with empathy. <laughs> And with empathy, I don't mean feeling sad for someone else. With empathy, I mean the literal sense of the word that you can try to feel what another person is feeling. Um, and 
I think that throughout literary history, there have been a lot of people who have been in, insanely gifted at that. Um, but yeah, um, that goes for fiction. But then for things like, a, like m my blog, which is not necessarily fiction, but more political writing, uh, or like feminism, I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to call <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> um, but then for that kind of stuff, yeah, you can't stand there and speak for everyone. It's not possible. And then on the other hand, I also like what kind of like ties in with that is that female writers are often asked to speak for women as a whole. And we just don't <laughs> like you speak for yourself, maybe for your social group, maybe even, yeah. But this is a privilege that I think again, where we can say writing does not exist in a vacuum. Often male writers, white writers, straight writers get the privilege of being seen as individuals. Their writing is individual and um, very popular female writers then get characterized as the voice for women or the voice for African-American women. And such a thing does not exist. Can you imagine an interview where someone asks a male writer, oh, so you write in your book that um, men don't want more than two kids. So um, as a voice for men, <laughs> why is that? Like nobody would ever do that. <laughs> That's a very fair totally. point. Yeah, and good observation for sure. Um, I think we need to be... Um, It's, it's essential to um, always, always, always remain critical with regards to generalizations and picking out one person as a representative for a group they might not even uh, identify with or represent at all. Um, and, and also that this tends to happen more with certain groups within society than with others. And then there are those groups um, on the edge of society who don't get any voice at all and mm. um, um so um yeah I'd, i'd fully agree um and i also think that there's a there's a major difference between fiction and non-fiction writing um though um even within fiction i've i've heard some discussions which i found quite interesting so is a white privileged man um to um allowed to speak for a um african girl um is is that person allowed to to write through from the perspective of uh, african girl living in um, you know traditional surroundings would that create an image um that is just not accurate that is just not what is actually found there um would that also be a way of making politics? Um, and I think there's a very fine line between, yeah, we do have empathy, but how far does that empathy reach? And and I think it's there's no clear answer to that. No yes or no, I think it's... Totally. But I blurry. think that's mm. the beautiful thing for writing. If you write about someone, you don't speak for them. You are telling a story, especially in fiction. You are telling a story. And um, saying you're not allowed to do that is always problematic because um, a free, a community of free expression does not say you are not allowed to write about different identities. You are, but this um, community of free expression doesn't save you from other people saying, oh, this is unrealistic. I don't like this. Or I don't think this is a good piece of literature. I don't, I just don't like your fiction. That's fine. You know, like you then also do have to put up with that. Um, but I think that's the, that's the main thing about fiction. You are not speaking for someone. You can, if that's what you want to, if you want to mix it with political writing and there's mixed types of texts and all of that stuff. But um, if we are talking about pure fiction, you are not speaking for someone. You are telling a story. You might do a very bad job or you might, if you really do your research well and you have ties to that community or whatever, you might do a really good job. 
The problem lies in only people of privilege writing about people without privilege. Um, they're allowed to do that, but people who actually are part of those communities, they have to get the chance to do that, don't they? Um, yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. It's a much more sort of structural issue rather than an individual writer perhaps taking on um, or making the choice to write about something specific. Um, the, the question probably um, lies more in the aggregate or in the sum if there's only white people writing about um, indigenous communities and and then the, the misrepresentation builds up so that at some point the image or idea of that community is just so far away from exactly. what actually yeah. is found mm. there. Mm. And then if you want to write about that as a white writer, I think that then it is your job if someone says oh, we're doing, for example, a panel on this topic, that it is then your job to be like, yeah, but I do want most of the speakers on this panel to actually be indigenous themselves. Or, um, yeah, but then like the questions for me are not, how do you live in this society? But the question for me is, oh, how can you relate to this as an outsider? Um, yeah, so it's, But that's that's the big difference between literary work and author, and the two of them have to be separated to some point. But the current discussion about this is about the um, Nobel Prize for Hanke, which is exactly oh. this discussion. But it is yeah. exactly this discussion. It is, it is a prize for literature. You can say, look, this is a prize for literature. Anything else he does doesn't matter. You can also say... This is a price for literature, but it also has some political and societal significance. So I would prefer it if it went to someone else. Or you can say, look, this is a price for literature. Great. But I'm now, and this is the stance that I'm taking. I'm saying this is a price for literature. I don't agree with his political views, but um, this is a price for literature. Okay, but I'm not gonna necessarily buy his books now because I feel like, oh, I now have to support him financially. Not at all. So this is kind of like the middle thing where I'm like, I don't necessarily feel comfortable supporting that financially. But on the other hand, I see where it's coming from. It's about literature. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. <laughs> very very big questions very challenging and i think there's um yeah lots of different opinions in that to, to be reached um i i think what um it all boils down to is that um there's responsibility there's different choices to be made there's um ideally there would be an openness for criticism in whatever you're doing and whatever you're attempting um, as a writer and that um, it's unclear where to draw the boundaries um, that um, things seem to be so as you beautifully said things writing doesn't exist in a vacuum so there's writing is political to some degree the question is how political mm. Uh, is it, can it be viewed independent of politics? Does it always influence politics? Is it, how, so how strong is the interaction? Probably that's different also with each piece of writing. Um, but with your piece of writing, it's uh, very political. <laughs> and I think that's w the reason why um, we did a trip to through capitalism to the climate crisis to um, feminism um, and uh, back to the Nobel Prize. <laughs> and I think <laughs> it's been a journey. It's been very enjoyable yeah. though. Yes, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Too, <laughs> so did we. This was episode 33 of the Universe podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe Podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and tell us what you think to help other people find the podcast. And tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter. We're at PodUniverse. 
on Facebook, on Instagram, where we are uni.verse underscore creative writing, or via our email address podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeier. The co-host was Livia Regen. Our guest on this episode was Anna Esterbauer. I hope you visit this planet of the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.